This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta and this is The Pulse. Years ago when I was on social assistance, I struggled to get by. It seemed impossible to pay rent, buy groceries and other necessities and pay for a cell phone on a little over $700 per month. I think about this now during COVID-19 when people with disabilities face additional challenges and additional costs associated with their disabilities. We've heard regular announcements about income assistance from various levels of government without mention of people with disabilities. There's confusion amongst people with disabilities. What benefits are they eligible for and how do COVID-19 benefits work in tandem with existing social assistance programs? Today we discuss issues of income assistance for people with disabilities during the pandemic. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juwita Gupta and it's a pleasure to be with you again today as we discuss this issue of income assistance for people with disabilities during the pandemic. We are all at AMI-audio doing our bit to stay safe and keep the public safe. And so this show, as we have done in the recent past, is being produced and hosted and teched remotely. And of course, the news around COVID-19 is changing constantly. Please make sure you get the most up-to-date information by visiting ami.ca forward slash COVID-19, which brings together segments from all of our daily live shows. My guest today is Lisa Gretzky, who is the MPP for Windsor West. Lisa is also the Ontario NDP's critic for community and social services. Lisa, welcome to The Pulse. Hello, and thank you for having me on. It's great to have you on the program. So before we get into talking about COVID-19 specifically, I think it's good to set this up a little bit. So if you live in Ontario and you happen to receive some kind of social assistance, it could be Ontario Works or Ontario Disability Support Program. Lisa, can you tell us in general terms how much a person might receive if they're on any of these programs, uh, what, what the income support looks like and whether they get benefits? Yeah, so it depends on the program that you, you are on, whether it's Ontario Works or the Ontario Disability Support Program. Um, and it also is dependent on uh, if you have any other form of income, if there is uh, someone else in the home with you. So if you have a partner, maybe that's, that's uh, on social assistance as well, or if they have an income. So it can vary uh, anywhere from average for OW is just over $700 a month. Um, up to for ODSP, the maximum is about uh, just over $1,100 a month. And whether or not you get any other additional benefits like health benefits, so vision care, dental care, drug plan um, is taken into account with each individual person. Um, and, and, you know, there's a different criteria that they go through to see if you qualify for, for the uh, additional benefits. Neither of those benefits, regardless of if you, even if you qualify for maximum benefits under either program, it's still well below the poverty line, uh, the income that comes in from OW or ODSP. Right. And it's funny that, you know, you should mention that because I was about to ask you about the poverty line and where those, uh, where those benefits come in in regards to the poverty line. And how many people are we talking about here, Lisa? I mean, just in terms of the rough numbers, how many people in Ontario rely on some form of social assistance? 
Oh, it's in the hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands of people in the province rely on some form of social assistance, uh, even if uh, they're not collecting an actual income from social assistance. If it's just a menial amount of money, say, that they get from, from ODSP, uh, but they rely on the uh, health benefits that would come with it if they qualify for health benefits. Uh, so it's, it's quite a large portion uh, of the population in Ontario um, that are reliant uh, at some point. Uh, some people come into the system uh, for some short-term support and, and are able to achieve another income, uh, say through work income, where they can make enough where either they don't qualify for social assistance anymore or they're making enough that they can sustain themselves. And other folks, specifically those with disabilities, are often counting on ODSP uh, for their the entire term of their, their adult life um, because mm-hmm. they are unable to go out and, and work or the work is so sporadic that it's not an income that they can count on. So there's, uh, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of, of people that are, uh, that are currently collecting social assistance and as their only source of income. And so previously, I mentioned that a lot of people with disabilities are facing additional costs and additional barriers associated with their disabilities. As we get into talking about COVID-19, what are some of these additional costs that a person with a disability might incur? Uh, Well, the costs that that a lot of people would take for granted, um, you know, day-to-day costs that that most people never have to think about. It's not a struggle for them. So there's the the day-to-day costs. But when we're talking about, for instance, groceries, the cost of groceries has gone up. You know, I just I just bought groceries last week, and even I was shocked at how expensive even a pound of grapes is nowadays. There's the added cost for cleaning supplies. So while we're asking people to be extra cautious with cleaning and disinfecting, those products, if you can find them, because uh, a lot of them is very, they're very difficult to find right now. Uh, but a lot of those products are more expensive and they're things that people uh, with disabilities, people on social assistance uh, normally wouldn't be, be able to afford to begin with. But in a pandemic, when they're asking people to, to be extra cautious and buy more and, and, and do extra cleanings, uh, it's even more prohibitive for people on social assistance to be able to go out and get those products. Uh, you know, public health has recommended that you limit the number of times you either that you go to the grocery store. Uh, but more specifically, they are, they're telling people the best thing to do would be uh, to have groceries delivered to your home. But there's a cost associated with having groceries delivered uh, to your house. And to uh, some people, that's not a barrier. But to others, that five dollars that that the store is charging to deliver is is quite a bit of their monthly income. Um, that they're going to be paying over time to having groceries delivered. Public transportation. Uh, so here in Windsor, our mayor has actually uh, canceled the buses. So um, that's a huge barrier for people that are low income and those with disabilities because a lot of them rely on busing. Um, and so it's made it even more difficult for them to get to grocery store um, or to the pharmacy or to a doctor's office or if there's essential workers to even get to work because they're relying on cabs. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of things, like I said, that, that many people, uh, you know, a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there, don't think much about. But for someone with a disability and someone on, on a, 
uh, an income like social assistance that's already below a poverty line, those additional costs add up really quickly um, and make it much more difficult for people to uh, be able to stock up on groceries or those cleaning supplies, um, as we're all being told that we should do. I'm speaking to MPP Lisa Gretzky from Windsor West. Lisa is also the Ontario NDP critic for community and social services. Lisa, we've heard a lot of announcements and a lot of conversation about CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And there's a lot of confusion about whether people with disabilities who are on social assistance could even qualify and whether should they receive the CERB, uh, that income can result in a clawback of their social assistance payments. What do you know about this? Well, um, there's not, there hasn't been an, uh, really any clarity on the uh, the Canadian emergency response or the Canada emergency response benefit as it relates to uh, social assistance um, until just yesterday. Actually, uh, the government uh, put up uh, updated their website. Um, with with decisions they've made around the income. Um, and what we're finding is is that um, they've kind of created a two-tier system now when it comes to uh, those that qualify for the CERB benefit uh, as far as how much will get clawed back. So, so the government is still going to claw back uh, the benefit. In the beginning, um, people were getting their, their uh, CERB benefit clawed back from... Uh, social assistance and those that had health benefits were losing those health benefits because it took the, the CERB benefit took them over the maximum um, income level to, to qualify for health benefits. Uh, now what the government has announced is those on ODSP will not lose health benefits. Uh, but if someone in their household, so say that um, one partner is collecting ODSP, has a disability and is collecting ODSP, and the other partner is able to work but has lost their job because of COVID-19, the government has said that um, they will be clawing back um, part of the the CERB benefit. And for those on Ontario Works, um, it's dependent on when your, for lack of a better way of saying it, in-service date started. So if you were already uh, qualified and collecting uh, Ontario Works, then uh, before March 1st, um, then you'll be the first $200 of income is exempt. And then it's a 50% clawback um, of the remainder of the CERB benefit. So the first 200 of the CERB benefit um, is, is exempt from clawback, but the remainder of that benefit is clawed back dollar for dollar. Uh, and the same would, would uh, all ODSP recipients, um, fall under the same type of uh, the same type of uh, clawback. There is no actual uh, date for them, start date of, of March 1st. It's just anybody that has uh, already been collecting ODSP or is in the process of, of uh, getting ODSP um, automatically fall into the first 200 exempt and then the rest is 50%. For Ontario Works, uh, recipients, anybody that qualified or started receiving um, their assistance after March 1st, uh, then the CERB benefit is clawed back dollar for dollar. So for every dollar uh, that you they would get under the CERB benefit, that amount is deducted from their Ontario Works check. So 
um, basically they would lose their entire Ontario Works check because uh, the CERB benefit is higher. That's a very clear explanation, Lisa, of what sounds like a complete quagmire. But I know the NDP put out a petition uh, that looks at this issue of income assistance for people with disabilities and others on social assistance. What can you tell us about this petition and how many signatures has it gathered? Uh, I don't have a total number of, of signatures, unfortunately, uh, but it, it got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback. A lot of people have, have mm-hmm. signed the petition. A lot of people have contacted my office and my colleagues' offices um, to let them know that uh, the, they appreciate that the petition was put out and that they're joining the call uh, for the provincial government to to, to do the right thing. Um, so, uh, but that petition basically, uh, as New Democrats, we have called on the government to end the clawbacks of, of the CERB benefit completely. So for anybody that is receiving social assistance, that CERB benefit, um, if you qualify for it, for the federal benefit, it would not be clawed back at all from, from your social assistance check. We've also asked the government to do what British Columbia has done, which British Columbia has already said they would not claw back any of the CERB benefits, but they've also said that they would provide $300 a month emergency benefit to people on social assistance as well. Currently in Ontario, it's a one-time $100 emergency benefit for an in, for a single individual or up to $200 for families, and that is not enough. So we have asked that it's $300 a month and that you don't have to call and ask for it. Currently, the province is saying that you have to call your caseworker and ask for the benefit and that it's up to the discretion of workers to decide um, whether or not you you qualify. Uh, The benefit is for those extra expenses that people on social assistance and those with disabilities will incur uh, during a pandemic. Uh, So we we believe that everyone should get that, um, everyone on assistance should get that $300 a month and should not have to ask for it. And and again, to end the the clawbacks of the uh, federal benefits. The reality is, that what the province is doing is taking a federal benefit. It was supposed to help uh, individuals who were able to work prior to the pandemic and have lost work or their partners. And the federal government had asked the provinces not to claw back that money. Uh, Again, it was to to help lift people up during a very, very difficult time. And what the province has chosen to do really is to make money off the backs of people that are already struggling financially um, Mm -hmm. by clawing this money back and and putting it into the provincial coffers to do whatever the province wants. I'm not sure how it could be looked at any other way other than the province taking a benefit that wasn't theirs to take and using it just to to pad the the provincial coffers at the expense of, of low income and vulnerable people. Let me, I, I want to talk about some of the other recommendations made by the NDP, but since it's come up in conversation, let me ask you a little bit about the role of the federal government and how successful the federal government has actually been in getting Ontario, but also other provinces to try and keep, to lift Canadians up and to avoid the kind of situation that you're describing where money intended for benefits meant to go to Canadians is ending up in the coffers of the province. And do you feel that Ontario and other provinces have taken direction from the federal government around this? Or is there more work that needs to be done to ensure a coordinated response between the three levels of government? I think that there's, there definitely is more work to be done. I look at the length of time it took the uh, federal government 
between announcing the CERB benefit and coming out and saying that they're urging provinces not to do clawbacks, um, there was a significant amount of time that passed between them coming, the feds coming out and saying they didn't want the money clawed back. Uh, I think that's something that when they announced the CERB benefit, the federal benefit, that they could have been clear right from the, the beginning and worked with provinces and put pressure on the provinces to not claw the benefit back. Uh, there are many provinces that do still claw the benefit back. Um, I mentioned British Columbia is one that doesn't, but there are many that do. And so I think there's still work that needs to be done at the federal level to be putting pressure on, on the different provinces to, to not be clawing back the benefit. And I think there's still obviously still work to do uh, for those of us in opposition and for uh, people with lived experience, those that are that are trying to live off of the, the very meager amount of social assistance that they get. Um, there's a role for them to play as well in, in pushing the government to do the right thing, to move in the right direction. And, and there's many, many active uh, advocates out there as well who have been putting pressure on the government. And I think on the surface, initially, people, uh, some people thought that this was good news. There was a little bit of good news in there um, that, that they weren't going to claw back all serve benefits under every every situation. So there was a little bit of good news there, but the government still needs to be held to account. They need to be held to account uh, to make sure that they they adjust their policy so that we're not seeing the clawbacks, so that we're seeing that the emergency benefits the province provide go up. And, and there's a place for municipalities too, because it's right within our own communities really is, is the ground level for uh, trying to help people that are living in poverty. The, our food bank use is, is going up, and yet the amount of food and, and uh, financial donations that are coming in have dropped because everybody's feeling the pinch right now during the, the pandemic. It's our soup kitchens and our shelters uh, that try and support uh, people that are living in poverty. So the municipalities have uh, a role to play as well because... Um, Ultimately, they they bear some of the the uh, cost of of trying to assist people with low income. So they need to be putting pressure on the province as well uh, here in Ontario to make sure that as they're making policy decisions, they're doing so within a disability lens um, because there's many accessibility issues and barriers for people with disabilities uh, on any given day. But during a pandemic, those uh, barriers become even greater. So the, the the municipality has a role to play in, in pointing out that there's barriers in our community for people with disabilities. There are barriers for people that are low income. And oftentimes people look to their municipalities to, to lessen the, the burden on, on those that are uh, struggling mm-hmm. with uh, a disability or with low income. Let me just move away from talking about income assistance for just a moment. The other Ontario NDP recommendation has to do with a $24 wage to attract personal support workers and to attract uh, practical nurses. These are people who would work with uh, individuals living with developmental disabilities. And again, there's many of the same challenges that come up that we've seen in our long-term care homes around ensuring that people are not working multiple jobs as a way to curtail the spread of infection. How much, um, how much, how receptive has the government been to that recommendation? Uh, The government, interestingly enough, the government, uh, this particular government, um, fought the, the raise of minimum wage, the minimum wage going up. Um, they stalled 
the planned increase of $15 an hour and left it at $14 an hour. We've been calling for years uh, under this government and the previous Liberal government uh, for minimum wage to be raised to a living wage. Um, so looking at what it costs to live in different areas of the province and making sure that the minimum wage meets um, an income level that people need in order to, to secure housing and to be able to eat and, and that kind of thing. The con- current Conservatives have already put us kind of, as I said uh, just the other day to someone, kind of behind the eight ball. We already started from behind um, because many of the essential workers like PSWs, RPNs, DSWs, um, direct support workers, those that work in grocery stores, that kind of thing, were already not making a livable wage. Many were piecing together work. And and so we've raised the issue again because during a time of a pandemic, I think it really becomes very clear some of the inequities that have been raised uh, for years now. And this government doesn't seem to be interested in moving towards raising uh, minimum wage for workers. Uh, they don't seem to be interested in, in putting together packages that will truly support uh, workers who are having to go above and beyond the usual during this pandemic. And it's really unfortunate because that cost is being passed on to uh, when we look at developmental services uh, in that sector, it's being passed on to the agencies that uh, that support people with developmental disabilities. So they're having to make the decision themselves to provide extra income to their workers to compensate them for the extra work that they're having to do. Um, and those agencies haven't seen a base funding increase in about 13 years now. So it's a financial struggle for them. Um, but if we look at uh, agencies that are providing um, an increased income to their workers at this time, if we look at the grocery stores and, and other groups that are, are now raising the, uh, the income for their workers, uh, it just makes you wonder why the government uh, hasn't stepped up. Um, before now to make sure that some of the the different uh, areas that they can regulate, uh, that they do fund and could increase funding to to make sure these workers were already making a, liv- a living wage, just makes you wonder why they haven't chose they didn't choose to do it before, and why they they are choosing to say how much they appreciate these workers, uh, how essential they are, and how appreciative they are, and that they're heroes. Uh, but they are not compensating them in a way um, that really reiterates that message. They're not walking the walk. Let me close with just one last question because we have time for just one more. Previously, you mentioned that there is a way for ordinary people, the people on social assistance who are living this reality right now, to get involved and raise their voices in support of better supports and better assistance, uh, be it for income or otherwise, what are some of the ways in which someone can get involved, Lisa? Uh, well, they can uh, they can find the petition, uh, our, our petition around social assistance. So that should be on my website, lisagretzkympp.ca, or any of my colleagues should have it up on theirs as well. Um, email and call. Uh, although we're all working remotely, we're still able to check our, our phone messages at our offices and our emails. So they should be writing and emailing uh, MPPs, and more importantly, not just any MPP. They should be they should be pressuring the government. They should be writing and phoning the premier's office and the minister of health office and the minister of community and social services office, 
um, to put the pressure on. And if they live in a riding where there is a conservative uh, MPP, then they should be putting pressure on them as well. The more pressure there is, uh, the better chance that we have of, of getting media attention, which is very important uh, for applying pressure as well. Um, but the more people that, that, that speak out, um, the more attention the government pays uh, to, to the issues that we're trying to raise. And I know there was a, a Dave Lepofsky wrote a, a wonderful op-ed that highlighted some of the other areas that people with disabilities are, are struggling with, the barriers they're facing, accessing healthcare and education, online education right now and that. So it's really important that a lot of people join Dave and others like him in, in pushing the government in the right direction, make sure the government knows the issues so that when those of us in the opposition start raising the issues, they don't think it's just us. They know that there is uh, a very large population of Ontarians that are we're standing shoulder to shoulder with trying to make some positive change uh, for the people that are struggling. Lisa, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day and speaking to us on the program. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on and stay well. You as well. That was Lisa Gretzky, MPP for Windsor West, as well as the Ontario NDP critic for the Community and Social Services Portfolio. We'll put a link up to that petition that Lisa mentioned on the show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. There was a lot of information in that conversation. I feel like I want to go back and have a listen. And if you felt the same, you can find the pulse as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I want to say as we close out this conversation, conversation that it's really important to recognize that people with disabilities often do get overlooked in public policy. But this can change. And as people with disabilities, we have both an obligation and an opportunity to really try and change the conversation. We need to call for accessible, and by that I mean, of course, plain language, as we talked about with Jennifer Robson, but also inclusive Uh, public policy that looks at our lived experience as people with disabilities. One of the fascinating things that I have been thinking about is just how easy it is now, today, in this moment, to organize as people with disabilities. Everything's being done online. There are many accessible and welcoming platforms where people with disabilities can organize and put their message out there. So I hope you will consider writing to your local MPP and speaking to people in government to try and make sure that your issues and my issues and our issues are put on the table. I'd like to thank Lisa Gretzky for being my guest on the program. The Pulse is produced by Andrea Delanerold. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio, with special thanks to Paula Deneen, supervisor of AMI-audio technical. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.